0: Welcome to the Potter's House Community Church's podcast. Join us weekly as we feature our Sunday sermons. The Potter's House Community Church exists to help people be shaped by God to be followers of Jesus Christ. We hope today's message encourages you as we dive into God's Word, so grab your favorite drink and let's listen to today's sermon. So show me your mysteries, my God. So today... Um, if you're new around here, you might have come in thinking, oh, it's Christmas time. I'm going to go to the church and have you know, the whole Christmas thing. Uh, well, here at Potter's House, we preach through books of the Bible at a time, and we're in Genesis. Um, And so if you came uh, today looking for baby Jesus in a manger, we'll get to a little bit of that later, Uh, but mainly we're going to be talking about Noah and the ark um, and the flood uh, today, uh, which isn't your typical Christmas passage, um, if we're honest. Uh, And so um, welcome. Uh, This is what we do here. Uh, But I think it is very good stuff uh, for us for today. Um, Good stuff for us to jump into and dig into. And see uh, what's going on, because if, if you really think about it, a lot of the messages of Noah and the flood are the same messages of Christ in the manger. You have the fact of God executing judgment, and you have the fact of God offering a way of salvation, and him giving a gift to someone who doesn't deserve it. That's what we have in Noah, and that's what we have in Jesus. Um, So today, as we jump into this, this is a a pretty well-known story in the Bible. Um, I I used to make absolute claims like everybody knows this story. But then I was talking with one of my, uh, my pastor friends, and he met somebody, and their son's name was Noah. And he said, oh, like in the Bible. And the mom had no idea that the name Noah was in the Bible. And uh, she had named her son Noah. Um, And so he got that opportunity to share uh, with them the story of Noah and the ark. Uh, And so I don't take for granted that all of us would be familiar with this story. uh, But it is a pretty well-known story. It's one that um, actually there's different versions from different cultures. Um, So you might have heard of like the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, before that tells a similar story uh, with different names and a few slight different details, but basically the overall same gist of the story. And there's some others from other other cultures as well. Um, and so that, that leads me to believe that, hey, this is probably a factual thing that actually happened, right? So if, if uh, different cultures and different people groups all spread from one guy that survived a flood, they probably would all have a version of that story in their history, right? Um, and so... So that's what we're looking at today um, in Genesis. And when we come uh, to this, this story, uh, there are, just like we looked at with creation um, and with understanding Genesis 1 and 2, how different well-meaning, Bible-believing Christians approach it from different viewpoints, the same is true with the flood as well. Um, And the main debate that arises around the flood was, was it a global flood or was it a local flood? Um, Did water literally cover all of the land on earth or was it just in the area where this happened, where Noah was? And by his description, it was everywhere he could see right? Um, And people come down on both sides of that. Typically, those who, like me, interpret the creation story literally go with more of a literal approach to this as well, being a global flood. Um, Those who have other interpretations of the creation story usually will maybe take more of the local flood approach on this one as well. Um, And even within the local flood idea, there are um, different kind of groups. There's one group uh, that says, well, it was just that area, but that area was all, all of the earth that was inhabited at the time. So mankind and animals hadn't spread to all of the land yet. Um, and so to kill all of them off, God just had to flood the area where they were. Um, and so that's, that's what it means. Um, others hold to, well, there's these different cultures that don't have this this flood story in their, their history. And so those cultures were in an area where this didn't happen. Um, and so they hold that there were people who were not wiped out by this flood. Um, and so those are different approaches to this, different viewpoints. Um, but for me the flood really answers a lot of questions. Um, it really points to a lot of what we see around us, um, a lot of what archeology span points to, um, a lot of these different things. I mean, uh, I, th- I think the fact that most of us drove here in vehicles that were either powered by a fossil fuel or powered by electricity that came from a fossil fuel, um, I think all of that points back and starts at the flood. I think that's where those fossils that made the fuel came from. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, I think it's it's definitely a major part of everything. And so I think it was a global flood. Um, a buddy of mine reminded me this, this week of, he got one of those pop-ups on Facebook or your memories or whatever. And so he messaged me, and uh, it was a time when uh, he and I went hiking in the Grand Canyon, and uh, the first thing he said in his message was, yeah, we almost died, because we did almost die. Uh, (laughs) We were hiking in a hole in the desert, and we ran out of water, so that's never good. Um, But uh, while we were in the hole in the desert, and before we ran out of water, uh, a freak rainstorm popped up on us. And uh, and there's, like, one spot in this whole area where you kind of could get some shelter. So we just ran in there. Uh, Well, a little bit later, this other guy comes running in. And this guy was a hardcore hiker, okay? Like, he he was hiking from basically, you know, some people try to do, like, down in the canyon to the river and then back up, right? Like, that's a good hike. This guy was going from one end of the canyon to the other end of the canyon, right? Like, he's following the river the whole way and occasionally popping out on the rim to, like, take a break. Um, But anyway, like, he runs in, uh, in this little freak rainstorm, and he starts just talking about it, and he's telling us what he's doing. We're like, dude, you're hardcore man. Like, (laughs) wow. Um, He did have somebody that was driving um, on the outside, of, that would meet him at times uh, to make sure he was still alive and stuff. Uh, but he just—he expressed this thing. And he was just like, "I'm just—I'm surrounded by this, but I can't understand it." He's like, "I just can't make sense of it. I can i can't—I can't figure out how it got here. How is this thing here?" And then the rain stopped, and he ran off before we could have much more of a conversation. But in my mind. As I was walking I was seeing the same thing, I was just saying, wow, God, you're an amazing creator. You made all of this. And as I'm looking at it, and as you can see the layers of the different sedimentary rocks um, all around you and the different breaks and the different lines, I say, man, that, that just looks like there's a whole big flood and it just laid down that layer and then that layer and then that layer and that layer and then it pushed it all together. And then, like... Any body of water has undertoes, right? So imagine a global flood, how big of undertoes it would have. Well, just take one of those undertoes to rip that whole thing out. And just one big thing of water, just shoot it all out, clean it all out, and boom, there it is. That's simple. And that's, that's what, where my mind goes when I'm looking at all this. and like, God, this all just points to the truth of your scripture, the truth of your word. I mean, when we look at, at where we live even. You know, like most scientists would say that like our valley was carved out by, um, you know, a, a glacier or something like that could have been, how does, how a glacier carves out look different from how a whole lot of water moving really fast carves out. Could have just been, this is one spot where the water all came. Um, now, an argument that those who don't hold to a global view have is they say scientifically there's not enough water on the planet to flood the whole planet to the level of the top of the mountains where Noah says that it got to. Okay, um, So that, that's, that's one argument. Before I get into that, I want to say this. I believe God made all the water by speaking it into being. I believe that God parted the Red Sea and let a million people walk through on dry land. Um, I also believe that he stopped the water of the Jordan River so those same people could then cross over the Jordan River and take on uh, their enemies in that that time. Um, I also believe that Jesus Christ, the one who was born at Christmas, uh, that we celebrate his birth at Christmas, I believe he could walk on water. Um... And so, for God to be able to flood the whole earth, I think he can do whatever with water he wants to do. I think he could take all the water on earth and stand it on top of his head just straight up and down. Like, I mean, he's God, right? Like, I want a lot of water here, boom, there's a lot of water there, right? Um, But another another aspect, another theory I have with this is ties in uh, with the... Sci- scientific theory of Pangea. You guys know what I'm talking about? So Pangea is the, the theory that basically all of the continents used to be one. And if, if you look at a, a globe or a map, you can see how, oh yeah, that would kind of fit together, right? Um, so suppose before the flood, all, it was one continent. You put a ton of water right on that continent, what's gonna happen? You're gonna have a lot of pressure and the water is going to try to run to the outsides. As the water runs to the outside, what's it going to do? It's going to take stuff with it. So what would you expect to have around the outside of this landmass? Mountains. What do we have on the whole western side of our continent and the one below us? Mountains. What do you have on the eastern side of Asia? Mountains, right? And so it, it looks like to me that, that well, if there were one continent, God dumped all this water on it, that it's going to be forcing stuff everywhere because that's a ton of pressure, right? And, uh, and scripture even says, we'll get to it in a minute, that water came up from the bottom and came down from the sky. And so all this water all of a sudden that God brought in, and if, it's, if you've got one continent and everything's pushing the outside, but it's also going to push down in the middle, where are you going to get? A divide. And then you have the Atlantic Ocean. And so for me, it all makes sense. Um, Other people see it differently. Other people say I'm crazy, and that's okay. Um, But let's do this. Let's jump into what Scripture says here. And you can think for yourself. And you can think, what is this describing? What is this talking about? Um, And then we'll look at some truths that we can see from this, regardless of what our views on, whether it was a global or a local flood. So Genesis 7, we're going to read a good bit today, so, so hang in there with me, um, but, but we're going to jump in now. Genesis 7, then the Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your out, your household, for I have seen that you're righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of the animals that are not clean, the male and his mate. And seven pairs of the birds of the heavens, and also male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah. As God had commanded Noah, and after seven days the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month... On the seventeenth day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And on the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark, and they they and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird. "'According to its kind, every winged creature. "'They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, "'in which there was a breath of life. "'And those that entered, male and female, "'of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, "'and the Lord shut him in. "'And the flood continued forty days on the earth, "'and the waters increased and bore up the ark, "'and it rose high above the earth.' And the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters, and the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and livestock and beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark and the waters prevailed on the earth for 150 days. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark and God made a wind blow on the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed, and the rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month and on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest in the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent forth a raven, and it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set set her foot, and she returned to him to the ark, and the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided, subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. And the six hundred and first year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, The waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, in the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. And God said to Noah, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wives and his sons wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. And So this is the story of what happened. And this is a story you can make your own conclusions on, whether this was a global flood or whether this was a local flood seems to me to be global. I don't know why you go to all this trouble with putting all the animals on the boat and building the boat and everything. If he could just tell them, Hey, hike 200 yards and then you're going to be safe. I don't know. Right? Like, I mean, um, seems, seems kind of a lot. Um, but it is clear here that God wipes out all of his creation. He wipes it clean. That man's wickedness, man's sin had become so bad that God said, I'm done with this. This is nasty. This is gross. I don't want this anymore. And it's kind of kind of funny um, in our Christian circles. Like, we love this story. We love this story, especially for our kids. Um, let, let's be honest. Anybody had a Noah's Ark nursery? Anybody? Nobody in here? Okay. Um, well, where I'm from in the South, those are common. Like... You know, you get the little boat, you got the nice little animals on the wall and everything. And it's like, oh, yay, look, you know, animals, babies, this this is great. Um, But when we're truthful, like, this is a story of destruction and death, right? Like, I love, like, our kids have different, like, kids' Bible story books. And I love one of them has an accurate picture um where there's the ark and then there's total destruction in the water around the ark. So you got the drowning giraffes, right? Like you know, they're not just sticking their head out the top smiling at everybody. Like they're going down with everything else, right? Like like everything outside of the ark was destroyed. And that's what the story tells us. It was a moment of God's wrath being poured out on sin and it was ugly. But yet in the midst of that, we see that God rewards righteousness that comes through faith. And this is why we love this story. Because it is a story of God preserving Noah. Here in Genesis, it talks about him being righteous. Last week, we looked at in Hebrews, it gives us the the insight into Noah's righteousness. And that righteousness came by faith. And so this is a story of God rewarding righteousness that comes through faith. And even though everything deserved to be wiped out, God said, I choose you, Noah, because you are righteous, because you believe in me, because you walk with me. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to preserve you. I'm going to offer a way of escape. And this is that same story from Christmas that I was talking about. God sent Jesus so that we could offer a way of escape for us. So that we could be made right with him. So that we could have faith in him and be made right and have the kind of righteousness that Noah had. It's not a righteousness earned of his own. It's a righteousness that comes through faith. And that's the same righteousness that we can have today. And God rewards that righteousness and he protects and he looks out for those who belong to him, those who love him, those who believe in him. Next thing we can see from this story is that God cleanses and purifies his creation. He created it and he said it is good. And then as mankind, we messed it up. We messed it up big time. And God comes in here in this account, and he cleanses it all. He wipes it all clean. He takes out all of the bad, and he says, I'm destroying it all. And he starts it all over, just with Noah and his family and the animals from the ark. So there was this this mode of protection, but yet it all came in the context of God cleansing everything. It's kind of like the mom who keeps threatening her kids to clean up their rooms, and they don't. Then finally, she just goes in with that garbage bag, and she takes everything, puts it in the garbage bag, and it is in the dumpster. So the mess is gone. (laughs) It's what God did in the flood. He went in with the garbage bag, and he said, I'm cleaning it all up. It's all going to be gone, thrown away. What have we done since then? We bring a lot of the mess back. What will the kids do? They'll bring more mess back. They can have no toys and still figure out a way to make it very, very messy. But that's what, where Jesus comes in. And that's why Jesus is so important that he came to earth, that he took on flesh, that he became one of us and lived a sinless, perfect life so he could pay the price for us. And in fact, let's, let's jump over and let's look at what Jesus said actually relating to Noah, and not talking about his first coming, which is what we celebrate at Christmas, but talking about when he's going to come again. And so in Matthew 24, it says this, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be be the coming of the son of man. Then two men will be in the field and one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at, at one mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into therefore you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect so Jesus is talking here about his second coming and we know in the context of scripture that his second coming comes with judgment another judgment on the holy earth the flood first first major judgment on the whole earth the next one we're going to get to in a minute God says he's not not going to do it with water anymore. The next one comes with fire. And Jesus is saying here, he's like, hey, you need to be ready for that. How, are you re- How do you get ready? See, the, guy, the people in Noah's day, they weren't ready. They got washed away. But you can be ready. How can you be ready? You can be ready just like Noah through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in what he did on the cross. The faith that he came in Christmas in order to save us a rescue mission. Peter also picks up on, uh, on this Noah um, theme and everything uh, in 1 Peter. And this passage has a lot of very confusing stuff in it. And so I almost didn't bring it up just because there's so much we need to unpack, but I'm just going to read it to you and you can do what you want with it, okay? Here's how Peter lays out for us to be ready. For Christ also suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, and when God's patience waited in the days of Noah So Peter makes this connection between Noah and his day and the people who didn't listen then. And then eight people were saved, and they were saved through the water. And then he's making that connection to today, to us, and he's saying, hey, if, if we want to be saved, then there's a way to be saved, and that's, that's also through the water. Now, he's, he says something. He says here, baptism saves you. And what he means there, and I, th- I think the way that I understand this, isn't that the, the physical act of going underwater saves you, right? Some people have taken that, and they, they, they make it to mean that. I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying here um, because, uh, because he says um, it's not about the removal of the dirt. If it's about the removal of the dirt, then, yeah, the water part would be very important. But what he's saying here is what, are, what baptism means, what baptism shows is, hey, my faith is in Jesus. My sin has been buried with him. I am dead to sin. I am raised to, to walk in newness of life with Christ. And so in that, I'm letting everybody else know that. And so I think he's pointing to the truth of my identity, of who I am, has been changed, has been put in Christ. And that's what we show in our baptism. And so baptism is very important. It's not what saves us, but it's very important. And Peter's drawing this connection between here's, here's Noah on the ark, and he's being saved through the waters. And here's us with Jesus, and we're being saved through the waters. And it's this picture that Peter paints here, this picture that he draws for us. Let's jump back to Genesis. Genesis 8, going on in verse 20, it says this. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord. So he's come out of the ark. Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. And while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. God's saying, I'm not going to destroy it all in that way again. But we see here that Noah's response after being saved through the waters is that he comes to God in worship. His mode of worship was with an altar and through sacrificing animals to God. But God receives this worship. And when we have experienced being saved through the waters through Jesus Christ, then our response should be also to come to him and worship. I love that new song we're learning. And the fact where it says, we give you all the glory. We give you all the glory. This is the response. This is our response to Christmas. This is our response to Easter. This is our response to what Jesus has done. We give you all the glory. We give you all the glory because He is worthy. Going on, chapter 9. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Does that sound familiar? It's going back to his original mission, his original purpose for mankind. Fruitful and multiple, I fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon the beasts of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you Everything. This was a question back from our, our Q&A sermon uh, about when did people start eating animals. Definitely at this point, God said, hey, I give you all of them. I'll give you all of it to eat. But you shall not eat flesh with its life that is blood. So all you rare steak people, <laughs> I don't know. And for your lifeblood, I will require, require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. So God here, he's instituting corporal punishment. And he's saying, hey, you kill somebody, you can kill the animals, you can eat them. But man, mankind, you're made in my image. Cannibalism, no. No. Off limits, don't go there, all right? God's just, I know how bad you people are now. I'm gonna go ahead and just spell this out up front. Don't do that, right? You kill one another, then you get killed. And you be fruitful, multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And God said to Noah and to his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Now, this is, this is an important theme in the Bible, is this theme of covenants. And this is the first one we see in Scripture, is this covenant that God makes with Noah. He said, I, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth that is with you, as many as come out of the ark, for it is every beast of the earth. So God makes this covenant. What's a covenant? It's a binding agreement. And he said, here's the sign of the covenant. It's a rainbow. And it's really cool if you think about what we know today about how rainbows are made scientifically, right? What is it? It's literally light passing through water. Light passing through water. I know that's a major oversimplification for you scientific people, but... Think about it. God's making a covenant with man. The light of the world is making a covenant with man. And he's saying, I'm not going to destroy you that way anymore. I'm not going to destroy you with water again. That's not going to happen again. I give you my word. And you know what? He's been good for his word. God keeps his covenants. He keeps his promises. It's also why I believe this to be a global flood, not a local flood, is because, yes, there have been plenty of local floods since this time where people have died, where animals have died. But never again, since this point, has he wiped out everything with the water. And nor will he, because he keeps his word and he's good for it. God makes and keeps covenants. And as one of those covenants is the reason that Jesus came to make that new covenant with us. That's why Christmas happened is because God wanted to make a new covenant with mankind that through his blood, we could be saved. For that to happen, he had to come and take on human flesh and become one of us. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your promises. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you keep your promises. We thank you that you've promised us that you won't destroy the whole earth with with water again. Um, Lord, we thank you that we're reminded of that and we can see that every time we see a rainbow. I think of um, the beautiful rainbows that were here this this last summer, uh, just on multiple occasions of even double and triple rainbows. And God, just getting to see that and just know your goodness and just your fingerprint and your handiwork over your creation and saying, I am the light. I'm the light of the world. I've made a promise to you. and Lord, I thank you for your promises. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending him. Thank you for Christmas time that we can worship you and bring you all glory for what you've done. And Lord, I just thank you that we're able to come together today and look at your word. pray all this in Christ's name. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast, leave us a review, and share with others. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at www.potterschurch.ca or you can connect with us also on social media. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of our weekly sermon series. We hope that you have such an amazing rest of your day.